Can't believe Anthony Davis still has a unibrow. Yeah. Probably. Is that the most surprising thing about him now? I, like, just, I, are we just so like, used to 45-point games? Like, that sucks that that's his thing, you know? Yeah, that's not a great one. No. Like, the beard is better than that. The, uh, yeah. You know, process Yeah, and I feel like Ant Davis, like, he got, it, he got his teeth fixed, kind of. Like, his teeth were really bad, and he got them kind of fixed and mm. stuff. But, like, the fact that he probably feels pressure to not be able to... But that's just shaving him. I don't know. Yeah, when, when that dude was, like, rail thin, and he had yeah. that, like, when his unibrow was thicker than his bicep... Yeah, that now that he's bigger, it is it is better. You're right. Now that he's a, like a bigger dude. So now I'm just thicker. scared of him. Now he just looks like some kind of like dictator. Exactly. Yeah. He basically he is a dictator. He I was is gonna a, say he really is. It's a monster. Rim protector, dictator, same thing. He was in that going to be the next best player in the NBA conversation. Like that was his name for a while, and then he got forgotten because there were so many other good young guys. But he's so. I was good. saying this a couple of weeks ago. I was saying that yeah. there was a point when he was like supposed to overtake LeBron. That was the whole conversation. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then people got so big on Towns last year. They thought Towns was better than him already, which he's not. Yeah, he's good, I, it's, but he's not. You, do you think he'll yeah. ever be? I don't. I don't know. Ant Davis is just so good, and he's like kind of. Like his team's winning right now, and he's not that good a team. And they're in the West, and they're winning, so that's cool. Yeah, the West is crazy right now. How close to the fact that there's seventeen, like three through seven, could just swap every other day. That's nuts. That's that different. is insane. Like the difference, it's the difference between playing the Warriors or playing like the Pelicans. It's insane. No, that shit's crazy. And what's up, guys? Hey, what's, what's up, up buddy? Um, we're just talking about Anthony Davis. Um. No, but that that shit's crazy because, like, I can't believe they're better since Demarcus is gone. Yeah, I know. Like, that dude just commands so much floor, but it's not like he's gonna like, yeah, it's not like he can keep this up. But yeah, it's just nuts to me that the Thunder right now, like, if the playoffs started today, they'd be playing the Warriors in the first round. But in two days from now, they could be playing the Pelicans. That's depending on when it's 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 ridiculous. I mean, the Blazers might get a three seed. Yeah, like, I know. That's the, Pel- the Pelicans have won what, like seven games in a row or something. Yeah, yeah. They shouldn't have won against the Spurs because I I do an NBA poll and I had the Spurs this week and I was livid because Drew Holiday goes to the line with like twenty seconds. The Pelicans are up one. He misses both, and Anthony Davis comes in for this ridiculous rebound, like right over the top of Rudy Gay, just like snatched it right out, and then he made both free throws and they lost. Yeah, it's very defeating. Mm-hmm. How about the end of that Virginia game, Matt? Um, the who they played four, last down night. four points with point nine seconds left. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah oh, I was wild. at I was at the bar and we asked them to flip it on. It was ridiculous. Yeah, no, it's it was a preposterous something. Only in college basketball, dude. Only are the kids stupid enough to do shit like that. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. To you see people do such it. stupid <laughs> shit. Oh my god. The panic. It's the panic. The panic. Exactly. Because as soon yeah. as one thing goes bad, everything's going bad. Yeah. All right. It's looking like Kyle is not going to be joining us for a little bit. Um, so I guess it is on us to get this started. Are you guys ready to go? You ready to deep dive into, uh, every player on the Knicks roster? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So ready. If a big task ahead of us. So can we talk about Kuz too? Cause he technically played one game as a Nick this year. Sure. All right. Before I do the, (laughs) I was gearing up to do the intro, but let's, let's do an honorable mention before I get there. Go ahead. Do you, do your Kuz take Matt? This guy. Was awesome overseas. Such a 
adorable, energetic player, had some good games last year, and the Knicks just decide to completely marginalize him this year, plays one game, plays two total minutes as a New York Knick, and then they ship him right out. It's a travesty, and it makes me ill. makes me ill. And I still wear my sweatshirt with pride that has Kuz, KP, Billy, and Frank on there, and I still love it. That's my he is adorable. Take. He's the best. He is the best. I also I, I hold I like plant my flag there because when they first got him, I was I was the first one to like write an article about it. So I was really excited about him. Then he value. actually started playing kind of well. I was really excited. And they just played no. him dirty. I don't know what Kuz to say. A, Kuz to you is like Landry Fields was to me. Like yeah. I, I had a I got a Landry jersey real early on and I didn't want to get rid of it. So I was I was believing in that guy like right up until the buzzer. Landry Fields once came to Siena at the Times Union Center, him and the Lopez brothers, and Siena smacked him around. Fun fact. Smacked him. (laughs) I saw uh, the strangest jerseys when I was in Thailand being sold. Like so many Derrick Rose Knicks jerseys for some reason. I can see that. I have no idea why. That and a lot of just wrong numbered jerseys too. Like number third, I saw a number thirteen Kobe Bryant jersey. That was confusing. <laughs> oh like just like a, a lot. Well, of that's because like it's like an eighty-seven Shaq jersey or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are all those are all like the misprints, and then obviously like yeah. they're trying to get rid of as many rose jerseys as they can now because they're not selling. Uh, yeah. So I guess they go for cheap over there. Yeah, I think it's... that would be hysterical to wear a number thirteen Kobe Bryant jersey. Wouldn't that be I hysterical? Would, I like, would. I almost bought it off the kid. <laughs> yeah, I kind of would have. Not a to kid. It was out. actually a man, and he had <laughs> face tattoos, and I oh, wasn't going to approach him. But yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't going to be the one to tell him he was wearing the wrong jersey. <laughs> yeah, right. I want like I. I want to find like the middle number there, and then take whatever comes right between eight and twenty-four. Yeah, like, that's the number they should have retired yeah. for Kobe. They shot the gap. Yeah, you're right. That's a good thing. Shouts to all of you, and welcome to the TKW Podcast. I'm Anthony Corbo. Kyle Maggio's computer is stuck in repair mode. So instead, I'm joined by Matt Spenley and Bailey Carlin. How are you dudes doing? Doing well. Ready to go. Swell. Swell. Swell, well, and I think I'll just go with good. Um, We're here today with the arduous task of evaluating the entire Knicks roster um, we're going to be taking a look at the stats and all the games they've played so far. We're going to talk about wh- where we think they fit in the long-term scheme of things, if they're just here for the rest of the season, what we can do with them. And and then we're just going to go from there. But we've got 16 players to go through. So let's go in number order. We're going to start right at the bottom with number zero. Mr. Troy Williams is on day nine of his 10-day contract currently. By the time this airs, he'll either have been re-signed already or probably not. Um, so why don't you guys just throw some takes around on how you've liked it during his first contract here and if you think he should get renewed? Well, I think you bring him back. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, you have nothing to lose. He's had some good moments. He is always going to be one that struggles to shoot, which seems counterintuitive. I think when a lot of people thought of him coming out, you think of him as a three and D guy, but it's not quite 
what he's like. We've already seen him have, you know, two or three incredible slams as a Nick. He's really athletic. He can defend. And he also got the Zach Lowe stamp of approval and that he said the Knicks should play him more, which is enough for me to think that he is at least worth giving a shot at. Like, come on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good with him. Like, he's only played a couple of minutes. Um, to go through the stats with him real quick, he has played seven. He's played seven games all season. Uh, he's got 50 total minutes. He's all year. He's 11 for 24 from the field. He's 0 for 10 from three. So we know he's not doing any of that while he's here. Yeah, that's not great. Uh, but while he's been with New York, he's ever to steal per game. He's athletic, you know, as we're mentioning. He can kind of get to the rim. He's got decent hands, too, I've noticed. He can read the lanes well. Um, so you think that's enough to bring him back for uh, for another 10 days, see where we go from there? Of course. Yeah. No doubt about it. Um, I didn't have the privilege of watching much of his 10-day because I was traveling. Um, so I'm not going to pretend I know a whole lot about him, but I do <laughs> think he looks like a mummy, and I yeah. don't know if I like that or not. Um but that's my take on him. So I enjoyed making graphics with him in it because he looked like a mummy and it made me laugh. So he also I he keep him looks around. like a cleaned up version of bubbles from the wire, yes. which shout out to yeah. our hey, excellent writer. If Mike I Cortez. can jump in, I slightly cleaned up version of bubbles from the wire. <laughs> <laughs> like not all the way clean. You know, it's like when bubbles kind of goes off the drugs for like two weeks to help like out. Yeah, and when all he's living, yeah. Or when he's living in his sister's basement. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like that bubbles. Yes. I can get down with that for sure. I also think he looks... It's a really mean thing to say, but I'm good time with that. <laughs> Love you, Troy. Well, I'm, I'm going to go with the other take here is that I there might be something involved here. I've been calling to, attention to it for a couple of weeks now, but I think he might be Lance Thomas's father. Like, look at the two of them in the face. Tell me that Troy Weathers doesn't look much more weathered, first of all. And second of all, that they don't look exactly the same otherwise. Did we rename him just because he looks weathered in his face? We're naming him Troy, Troy Weathers, Weathers now. <laughs> <laughs> I can go with they that. They do have a similar look to them. You know? No, they like do. It's, I just think it's so funny. I think Bailey posted a pic or someone of, of Troy Williams when he was in high school, and he almost looked older. <laughs> it was like five years ago. My man was 19 years old. And he just like got he one was, of those faces. Yeah, it's just got Greg one of those syndrome, faces. You know? yeah. yeah. All right. Well, if we have nothing more to say on Troy Williams, then we can move on to number double zero. Ennis Cantor, who has played in 58 games. He's played 25.8 minutes a game, 14 points. Uh, what else? Noticeable things. He's a good free throw shooter. Uh, 86% from the line, 10.7 rebounds a game, uh, three and a half offensive rebounds, um, only about a half a block per game. So, like, what we're seeing here is a double double machine. You know, he's cleaning up every miss. He's been steady all year, except for like a five, six game stretch he's had in there. Uh, you know, he hates losing by the amount that he uh, proclaims that on Twitter and the uh, towel over the head and all that good stuff. Um, and then he's just still in however many years he is in the NBA, has not learned any defense. So Cantor is a player option going into this uh, offseason. We think he'll probably pick that up. Yeah. 99% picking it up. Okay. Uh, are we happy about that? I said it last week. I think Cantor is a player that we can appreciate the effort that he's put in New York. He works hard. He's, you know, we joke about how he's corny, but, you know, objectively, he has some funny moments. Um, he loves playing in New York, but I think he would say that even if he was playing in Portland because we saw how he felt about Utah the second he got out of there. The thing about Cantor is if he's your center, 
you're probably going to win between, you know, if you have a good team around him, 35, 45 games, if he's starting every game and playing 26 minutes a game, it's just the game is not conducive to his play anymore. It's just the way it is. He's a poor defender in the pick and roll. He's a pure post player that has some range outside of the paint, but not a ton. Like he can knock it down, but it's not an area that he goes to very much. And we saw how someone like Porzingis, who theoretically is a good fit with him and was reasonable, like as a reasonably good fit as like they were together next to each other. Sure. But it's just the question of you don't have a high ceiling with him as your starting center playing serious minutes. And it's just a fact. And it's well, where the NBA is gone. This it's like is what, what I was going to you know? Well, I kind of I want to I don't want to get too far off your point with him playing next to Porzingis because I thought that I really like the matchup of the two of them together. I thought that they really kind of cleaned up a lot of each other's inconsistencies. Like I didn't really worry about rim protection with Cantor out there. Like I don't worry about that. He only has a half a block a game because, you know, KP's got two and a half of those. And, you know, it just looks like even if Cantor can like slack off defense a little bit, it gives KP a little bit more time to defend the interior. So, you know, I, I, I see your point and I agree with you to a certain degree. I just wonder if you have like pre-injury Chris Sops and, you know, we'll see how he looks when he gets back. But if you have a guy like that next to him, like long term, I feel like the two of them can make it work together. I just don't think you can ever have an elite team and a team that you should strive for in the NBA to get to that top tier if you're not going to be bottoming out with a guy like Ennis Cantor as your center. It's I just don't think it's possible. That's why we've seen he's a dying breed, basically. Yeah. And I mean, it's not fair. It sucks. But we have to be realistic at the same time. There's a reason why these guys are not as coveted anymore. And. You know, it's just, it's the way that it is. And we got to call a spade a spade here. I think he's good at what he does. And I don't think it's his fault that he's not. I don't think he's the type of person you ask him to adapt his game. I don't think it would be fair to ask him to adapt his game because he is good at what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, the Greg Monroe comparison, I think, is a good one. I, I like Cantor. I think he's I think he's good. I think he's a good basketball player. I think you see why the Thunder opted to go with Steven Adams instead of him. Um, I think that's been apparent because Steven Adams just does a little bit of things different that Cantor's able to do. He's a better passer. He's able to do some things that Cantor just hasn't shown that like just the, the, the problem is like, and I'm not, this is going to sound stupid. I'm not like a deep dive, like analytics stack guy, but like you can't ignore them at the same time. And they're just not that good when he's out there. So as much as I like him, I like his hustle. He makes good plays. He fights out there. He loves, he loves to be wherever he is. Um, he's just lucky he landed in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't mind. I don't think I'll hate having him on the team next year. Like I'm not miserable when he's on the court. I'm not like, it's not like he's Jared Jack where we were like, get him off the floor. That's not how I feel about him. Um, especially with who knows if him and KP will even play a game together again. Honestly, yeah. who uh, knows? If KP, like they, they may never even play a game together again, even if he picks up his option. Um, so I don't hate the idea of him picking it up and coming back next year. That doesn't like make me sick to my stomach. They're not going to be any good next year anyway. I don't think he hinders the development of Porzingis if he is mm-hmm. back. I don't think he hinders the development of any of the other young guards or forwards or anyone. I don't think he hurts anyone. I just don't think, like Matt said, he helps to the point that he's going to be the person helping you really get to that next level. Unless the Knicks see crazy development from everyone else around him. And he's always struck me as that kind of guy that has to be put in the perfect situation to exceed. And that's really hard for a team like the Knicks yeah. that has struggled to even team. get guys that have shown any sort of development. So all of a sudden you're throwing Cantor in here and you pr- need a good point guard defender to contain the guards on pick and rolls. 
And you also need a good rim protector next to him at the four, which they have in Porzingis. But then you also like to have those guys at the three that kind of prevent the drives to the hoop so that he doesn't have to end up being flat-footed. He's so exposed without Porzingis. You just watch him. He His natural instinct is never to protect the rim. Like, it's never something that even goes through his mind. If he gets, someone gets beat on the pick and roll, he does not even attempt to go over there because he's used to having, you know, especially this year, Porzingis next to him. So it's just, it's asking a lot of him to play center. And in certain situations, sure. We saw him dominate at points in Oklahoma City, but we also saw when Billy Donovan said, can't play him. That's the, yeah. you know, that's the yin and the yang with, with Cantor. It's kind of just how it is. Yep. All right. We good to uh, move on to the next guy? Yep. All right. Let's look, do it. Number one, newcomer to the team, uh, got in the trade that sent uh, Doug McDermott down to Dallas and coming back from Denver is Emmanuel Moutier. I want to read off real quick. I want to compare his stats from Denver to his first couple of games in New York so far. So remember, all these are before uh, we're recording before the game against the Clippers tonight. So uh, if anything big happens that changes these around too much, don't blame us. So if he scores 100 points tonight. Yeah, right. <laughs> he breaks Wilt's record. Pretty uh, likely, if we're being honest. All right. So Denver, he played 42 games, no starts. He played almost 18 minutes a game. He shot 40%, 37% from three which is surprising to me. Uh, 80% free throw shooter, three assists a game, half a steal game. In New York so far, he's in six games and three starts. He's up that number from about 18 minutes per game to 24.7 a game. He's still shooting 40%, uh, but now he's down to eight, uh, 17% from three. Um, so his field goal percentage has actually gone up a little bit, but he is way down with three-pointers. Uh, his free throws are way down. His assists are way up to like 5.3. And he's got over a steal game. Um, I think he looks good with the starters out there. I think he's able to run with them at least. You know, I don't know how much of an impact he's making, but he's at least able to keep up. Um, I see him trying to force this game a lot. The, you know, the terrible three-point percentage is pretty obvious of that. Um, but I, I something about how he's playing with them out there and he just kind of looks like a veteran on the court so far from what I've seen, even if he's struggling a little, I kind of don't get the feeling that it's going to be that big of a problem with developing Frank with him around. What do you guys think about that? I think Frank's a two guard personally. So I, I don't mind having another point guard developing next to him. Um, I never disliked Moody. He's, I said this on Twitter and a lot of people retweeted it. So I think a lot of people agreed. Um, he was the guy I wanted the Knicks to draft when they drafted KP. Like, ironically, like I was huge on him. I loved him. Um, but I, I think he got like a weird situation in Denver, kind of almost the same thing that happened. Like Kenneth Reed, where just like guys ended up being, they drafted guys and got guys who just ended up being better than him, that they were willing. They felt like they had given him his shot already as it, mind you, as a 19 year old. And then he lost his chance to someone like Jamal Murray and Gary Harris, who were both really good. Um, so, like, when people were like, oh, he's washed, he's playing behind these guys, I, I was like, well, I mean, give him a chance. And I mean, I like what I've seen so far. Um, I think he's a, I don't think he's a starting point guard on a really good team, but I think he's a competent, really good backup guard. Um, and I think it's important to have guys like that around. And I think he's, he's not Derrick Rose. He's not delusional. He doesn't think he's the superstar guard. He, He's had really good quotes with media where he came out and said things like, you know, I had my chance and I blew it and I'm happy. To, and I was young and I'm happy to be given the chance again to play for a team in these things. So I think his attitude's in the right place. Um, I don't I haven't seen anything on the court that leads me to believe he's hindering Frank's development or he's going to hinder Frank's development. Um, I think they can coexist. So I 
I'd, I'd be happy to see him back. Um, I mean, I don't want them building their team around him, but I, I like what I've seen from him so far. Yeah, and here's my thing. You mentioned that you think Frank is a two-guard. Call him whatever you want. I don't really care. If he's going to play next to another guard, it, it's a denomination between calling him a one and a two. Does it matter? In, at the it's end a difference the between, it's like six dribbles before right. half court. It's like, really the I mean, difference. You know, and, and they've been having Moutier bring the ball up more. We haven't seen as many Moutier and Nielakina backcourt lineups now that Moutier's went in with the starters. We've seen more Trey Burke, Nielakina lineups. Yeah. But so my general feelings on Moutier, he, he still does so many bad things. Like he still turns the ball over. He can't really shoot. You know, it's something that JB found out right away is that he falls down a ton trying to get foul calls. Like that happens a lot. Um, the Knicks lineups have been noticeably worse in terms of the on-off splits with him on the floor versus him off the floor, which is a big reason why he was one of the worst on-off guys in Denver. When he was off the floor, they were much better. But at the end of the day, we've talked about it. You know, you bring a, a young guy in, you give him a chance. He's had a couple really nice games. You know, his first game, he had 14 and 10. He's never going to be an efficient scorer. I agree with Bailey. I don't think you can ever feel confident with him as your starting point guard and feel like, okay, you know, we can lock him in. But I also don't think he is a player that you feel like is a liability. And let's also keep in mind how young he is. He's younger than Porzingis. You know, we, we all expect so much of a guy like Porzingis already. And Moody is a guy coming in. They're going to have him the rest of this year and next year. He's going to have plenty of opportunity to succeed and fail. Throw him out there. See what he can do. I don't think the three-point percentage is going to keep being this bad. I think it was kind of a fluke that he was shooting, you know, I think he was 0 for his first 13. Like, that's not going to keep up, obviously. I don't think he's a great three-point shooter. But when it all comes down, he has some great passing abilities. He can score. He's confident in his game. And I think you can play him next to Frank or Burke or whoever you want to do and not feel like you're hindering the development of one of these young New York guards. Yeah, I I agree exactly the same way. It's like he's he still has a lot to find his way, but you, you're I like what you're saying about his three point shooting, um, because I I, I really do think that that's going to come around for a little bit more of a, um, it, it it's I don't really think it's going to be great, but I think it's going to hit a median. And even if he's thirty four percent, like yeah, that's like that's what I'm saying. At, like for, that's, for his game, like I'll take that if he's shooting thirty four. Yeah, if he could do that, I think if he can get it there, then he's kind of shown enough that. He's going to find some kind of middle ground between being, you know, he's going to find his average. And I think he, yep. he's going to, he's an average, you know, NBA player. He's an average and NBA you mentioned player. He was, he was 37 for his first half on the Nuggets. And for his first few years, he was 32 and 32. Yeah. So if he could just kick that up a couple points, defenses might have to respect him a little bit more. They don't respect him a ton right now. But, you know, in the NBA, with how it's going, you can't really have point guards that can't shoot. And that's the hardest part right now with the Moutier, Neil Aquina backcourt is that while we think of Frank as someone that is going to be a pretty good shooter, I think we are a little more high on that than probably outsiders are. Uh, it's still yeah. a problem when those guys play together because defenses don't respect them. So it makes the game harder for guys like Cantor or Kyle O'Quinn um, or, you know, any of the other guys that the Knicks have inside Tim Hardaway, any of those guys. So it, it's something that they're going to have to keep experimenting with. And I think we've been, very happy, no matter the result, that those guys have gotten plenty of burn together and to give them an opportunity to figure it out. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Bailey, have you gotten a chance to watch much of Moutier since you've been back? Um, a little bit. Again, just everything I said before um, about him. But on top of that, just I, I like to see him. I, I like him on the court. I mean, he's he's shown a confidence that I didn't – because I hadn't watched much of him in Denver because I don't like watching Denver play. Um, 
but I hadn't seen much of him on the court. So I don't know just the way NBA Twitter described him. I expected like this meek, meager, like nervous kind of like not confident player out there. And I mean, he's confident. He falls down a lot. And that's annoying. Yeah. Um, but like, so does KP. So does KP. And so does oh, so everyone else on the Knicks. So yeah, annoying. Um, yeah, so annoying. Um, so like, as long as he gets, but here's the thing. That means he's going to the basket. He's putting his head down. I think if Frank can look at that, and be like, wow, that's cool. I should do that more. <laughs> like, I think he's, I mean, again, he's, he was born in 1996. I just looked and Frank Nielakin was born in 1998, which just doesn't compute to me. Um, but like, guys like, are so young. it's like when my students were born, it's very strange. Um, but like, <laughs> my, uh... he, as long as he goes and like, just plays basketball, like, I don't know, like the Knicks aren't winning a championship in the next couple of years. And Moutier is not going to be a player on a championship team, but if they can, do I want them to draft a point guard like because he's so bad? No. If they draft one that's better than him, I don't think they're going to be able to draft someone that's better than him right away. But I don't know. We'll see. I don't hate him. My game when I was playing was basically just fall to the ground as many times as possible. So I have a lot of respect for Moutier. And yell and one every time. Yes. That's all you need to do. here yeah man hey buddy yeah there he is all right it was a rough go joining the call yeah after a lot of uh back and forth is kyle maggio how are you what's going on yeah present what's going on fellas we're good we're getting through the list uh we talked troy williams so far we talked dennis Cantor. we talked emmanuel moutier and now we're about to move on to luke cornet who's played in cornet 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 Cornet? Cornois. Cornelius. I feel like he needs, he can't just be Cornet. I just feel like that's, I don't know. So you Luke, don't think Cornet perfectly encapsulates? Like when you look at that guy, you're like, yeah, his name is Luke Cornet. It's perfect. No, nah, he, he looks like, he looks like he'd be some sort of a wealthy 1920s gentleman named Luke Cornet. The funniest yeah, part about I disagree. Cornette I is... think he looks like a male lunch lady, like in a high school. <laughs> yeah, can we just can we call him like ugly Porzingis? No, no. I don't want to disservice. I don't want to disservice no, myself. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you insult Luke Cornett like that? Well, he's played in four games. He's played twelve minutes a game, and he's only shooting twenty-one percent from the field. He's also shooting like twenty percent from three. Um, I that's I don't have anything on him. I I. I I don't know what to say uh, about him. To me, it's like one part, he's just not an NBA player. And then one part, it's, <laughs> it's even worse because he just came from the G League. And now he's trying to get acclimated with the speed and the athleticism of the NBA. So when you mix those two things together, like 20% from both the field and from deep kind of, I mean, that makes plenty of sense in a sense. We'll always sure. have that double-double from the first game, though. We'll always have that. Yeah, he's like riding that out. He's still averaging like 3.3 rebounds a game. He's done nothing else. So. Right. So the, here's the funny thing about Cornette. He was not very good in college, objectively. Like, you know, if we're looking at it on a scope level of guys that play in college that you expect to come to the NBA, he was a 41% shooter in college, which is bad for a guy that was taking the type of shots that he was. And he played at Vanderbilt, which had some good moments, but they were never that good. It's not like they were jumping off the page. They made the tournament last year as one of the worst teams in the field. 
So when they signed him, I was surprised. And he had some games over the summer league where he looked pretty good. I mean, all he does is really shoot. And, you know, he tries hard. I mean, I don't, I don't know. We all know the best part of the cornet. It's the family. That's why we like them, you know? What else do, we, do we think that he just got drafted because he's a tall white guy? Do you think they just yeah. have him because of that? Well, yeah. yeah, I think the Knicks wanted a second tall white guy to have in there to base, especially while KP is out now. Like, honestly, I, I, I'm more of the opinion that they just bring back Travis Ware because they just need another they contract. They today. need a stunt double, man. Like, he's literally a Porzingis stunt double just so they can run plays with a Porzingis-like player in there. No, I guess I was just bringing it up because you always see, uh, you know, you ever see, like, when they try to describe a college quarterback and they can't bring up any tangible reasons why he should be a top pick or why he's any good. And then they say stuff like, the guy just wins, like with Josh Allen. Like he's the guy just wins. Though, Kyle. He looks good in shorts. You know, he, he just got the job done. He, he's gritty. He finds way. He's, he's, a, he's intelligent. But like none of that translates into the actual field of play where they should be using it to judge him on why he's being drafted. So I just figured maybe that same criteria fit for Luke Cornett, where he's just a big, tall, white guy, played at Vanderbilt, just looks like he can get it done, gets drafted anyway. Are you telling me that Luke Cornett does not get by by being an NBA player based on his athletic ability and or NBA talent? I think it's mostly because he's very handsome. I think that's why. That's got to be it. Okay. That's got to be it. Good point. He looks like a bassist in an Irish rock band. Yeah, that. Are I, we that sure he wasn't down. in the Dropkick Murphys? Are we sure? No, I, I, feel like sure not sure. I feel like he would for sure be the drummer with the sleeves ripped off of his shirt. <laughs> I feel like I've been to a Dropkick Murphy show and I didn't see a seven footer there, but I also didn't see the drummer stand up. So he could be, he could be. But he's also be deceptively good. small because he doesn't play like he's as big as he is on the court. So you could have missed him. Right. That's true. We, I, I think we spent too much time on Luke Cornett. <laughs> uh, can we... I thought we spent the perfect amount of time. Well, is this is this for? Do we want them on the team next year? Is that the discussion? Yeah. Well, yeah, we did. We haven't done that yet, but we should have. So let's do that now. Because um, I don't want him. So okay, I want I want him to be a Porzingis stunt double while he's out. That's the only reason I need him. The same way that I just need uh, Ron Baker on the team to get punched in the face. Uh, I should have saved that for the Ron Baker section. But um, that's yeah. I just Porzingis stunt double. You just keep Cornette back in the G League where he was. You know, that, I'm sure that's where he'll end up next year. They might, I don't know if they'll put him back on a two-way or if he's going to come back for the Knicks because, I mean, he was good for them when he was in Westchester. So he's good at that level. When he comes to the NBA, he's just overmatched. There's only so much a guy can do. Fair enough. Let's move on to number three, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. Oh, boy. Who, yeah, this is going to be a mixed bag. We've spent some time here. He's only played in 40 games. He started 37 of them. He is averaging 16.8 points per game? Yes. Yep. Uh, 41.2% from the field, 31.6% from three, uh, shooting about 80% at the line. He's got 3.9 rebounds, 2.9 assists, uh, almost a steal and a half. Yeah. What? Where do we want to start with Tim Hardaway Jr.? Let's start with... Let's start with... Uh, Let's just start with the positive. So what have we liked about Tim Hardaway Jr. and his return to New York? Well, let me take the positives. Let me take the positives because I'm always the one that defends this man. Celebrations. Shimmy Hardaway has been a godsend. It's great. He still has the ability to put up points in bunches, which who on the Knicks can do that besides Porzingis. I firmly believe 
that his shooting from three is going to be better next year. He got off to that awful start. He's come back from the injury, and he just hasn't been great. Um, you know, he's shooting seven per game, which is exactly what the Knicks need. They need a guy that can actually shoot the three. I still think as if you can rein him in, I think if he gets a coach that looks him in the eyes and says, you are a good player, you can run the pick and roll as a ball handler, which not a lot of two guards can do. You can shoot the three really well. You can do a lot in the mid-range. I just want you to take do like 10% less because his shot selection just sometimes is is terrible. But I you see how good he looks some games. And it's funny that I have this position now because when they first had Hardaway Jr. and they traded him for the first-round pick, I was over the moon happy. Same. And I wanted this to work out because it seemed like everyone was down on it. So I just I felt like I, I needed to come from a certain spot standpoint where we could be positive for it and he hasn't had the best year but he's had some good moments it's it's a clearly an overpay of a contract especially considering the atmosphere of the nba now like if he's a free agent this year i <laughs> he gets like i don't know two years and 20 million a lot less than this but i still feel relatively confident with him going forward and i don't think that's an opinion that a lot of people have at this stage so I hope that he comes back next year and doesn't get off to a bad start and just reels his game in just a little bit because he can do a lot of different things on the court much better than he could during his previous stint no, as a Nick. That's a good point, though, because when he's talking about reeling it in, I think that's sort of the difference between good coaching and Jeff Hornacek that we've kind of discussed a lot this year was because in Atlanta, Coach Budenholzer utilized him well by minimizing, you know, kind of the things that he wasn't so good at and made sure he had to excel at the things he was good at in order to stay on the floor. So he obviously had to stay locked in defensively, but a lot of what we saw from him was, you know, if he was going to be the pick and roll ball handler, he was like either making a quick decision or giving it up or he got a lot of points last year off of cuts. Do you so, think that has anything to do with why he left Atlanta? He just felt like he was a little too tied up. So now he's in New York I, and trying to, you know, show out a little bit. I think no, he felt I, the pressure I, of the contract, too. Like, I think that's yeah. the thing. And he's felt well, like he needs to prove that he deserves it, right? Well, to a degree. But also, I felt like playing second fiddle to KP, like, once they hit that groove in November and um, pretty much just November, I, I forget when he went down for the injury. I think it may have been early December. When they but, hit that groove for, you know, five games or so. No, no, no. They were in a good group no, for know, about I a know. month and a half. But, <laughs> no, but it, it's it's unfortunate because he was he wasn't really shooting – incredibly well but he was playing good d he was just making really good smart reads on a lot of plays he wasn't forcing a lot so it's like you, when you see a guy who's scoring i think he was like at 18 points five five assists or close to five assists you know four or five rebounds and then you see just general playmaking ability he was a competent defender that justifies the contract to me anyway and i guess the question now we have to ask ourselves basically where matt left off is are we confident that we see that version more or less of Hardaway or are we seeing the one that's kind of been in the slide since KP went down and ultimately since he came back from the injury so I personally kind of believe from that first you know first part of the season just because you know him and KP, KP played a bulk of minutes together um, I just felt like they were really fluid they were really good and I, I don't know I just can't help but imagine I'm I don't know. I'm it's kind of just on the other side, man. Like, I, I just I just feel like I've seen enough. Like, I feel like I know. That well, you got three more years left. So you got no, plenty more. I, well, him, <laughs> I was going to say, him <laughs> one option is tough. Like, him being the one option, that, that should never be a thing. He should always be 
at best the second best player in your team. Like yeah. at worst, he's probably he's probably better made to be like the third best player yes. on your team. There's but no for doubt. this team, that's his best role. That's I guess what I'm trying to get at is I, I don't see him like continuing to further himself. It would be nice, but I don't see him becoming like a 23, 24, 25 per game scorer. I just see him kind of like more or less either. doing what he was doing. I just think that he's. I would I, be super. I would be super happy. If Tim Hardaway Jr. was the third best player on my team, and he was what he is today, like, right, I'd, be, like I'd be so happy with that. That's what he's that's, best suited that's for. Kind of I think what, we all kind of knew that going and in. You maybe know? at times he will be your second best player, uh-huh. um, and that's okay. Like Courtney Lee's been the Knicks' second best player at times. You know what I mean? Like, yep. he's, yeah. like he's capable of jumping in and being your second best player um, at times, and that's okay. He just needs to always be your third best, and sometimes your second best, and sometimes your best. See, um, that's the but, problem. That's exactly yeah. where I stand because I don't think. I there were when we fir- he first came back here I was going in with the mindset that he could be the best player on the court some night. Um I just don't think that's the case anymore. I think like he's either can occasionally on a very rare occasion go off and be your best player sure. But like it's it's like 50% he's going to be your second best player on the court or your third best play- player on the court and 50% that he's just going to be like nothing. Like he's just by far the most inconsistent like top tier player well, or, or not not top tier but you know in your top three that i've seen like on any team ever i think i guess i guess my counterpoint is how much of that is due to what he's been asked to do in the absence of you know chris Stapps and the absence of like a bona fide second option on this team he's, is got, it, he's got like no expectations so now. a usage problem or is it a him problem He's got he's got no expectations now. Like he doesn't have to do all that much right now. He just needs to be able to go out there and lead this team because that's what he's being paid to do now. And now we have two guys getting paid seventeen million dollars a season who are looking invisible. But I I guess my point too is like, for example, like if you had Otto Porter Jr. on this team, like Otto Porter Jr. wouldn't be Otto Porter Jr. You know, like Otto Porter Jr. works on the Wizards because he's the third best player on that team it's wall beal and then him and then he's allowed to you know some nights be a second best guy you know beal some... wall and then him in my opinion well i wasn't even doing an order but however know, you want to do know, it but, but um but that kind of that's kind of where i see timmy ultimately panning out you know so if out of porter jr was suddenly tasked with you know just by a talent perspective being the best player on this team i don't think he'd fare well just off usage he'd be asked to do too much things he's may not be great at at times. So I, I guess that's sort of the conundrum. Is it is it usage? Is it the scheme? You know, now that KP's gone, you know, whether or not there's expectations, he's still going to be the guy that they go to. They still got games to play. You know, they're still going to run the ball through him. So I guess that's what I'm more confused about. Maybe next season will clear it up more, but I don't know. Here's yeah. the Tim Hardaway Jr. experience, and then we can move on to the next player if you like, Ant. So when he comes back from the injury, he puts up at least 16 points in first five games. Then over the next course of, you know, 12 games, there was a stretch where he scored less than 10, 10 points for six of seven games. And then he comes out, scores 37, 23, 17, the three next. So it's a matter of ironing out those stretches where he is invisible and struggling to shoot from the floor and just can't do anything right versus those games where he's going off. You know, we saw against in the first half against Washington, of course he cooled off in the second half, but those are the type of performances that we see from him. And you're not thinking, Oh my God, this is such an anomaly. This could never happen. Cause we've seen him get hot. We know what he can do. It's a matter of attaining a certain level of consistency, which 
Is he ever going to be able to do that? We don't know. leave it at that then uh we're gonna move on to number four isaiah hicks the other two-way player on the roster who he now i've seen cornet i don't think i've seen very much of hicks at all or noticed him on the court played in three games he's shooting 50 percent uh he's played almost 13 minutes a game uh 1.7 rebounds uh that's really the only notable stat on there um yeah, I don't I don't I guess I'm going to defer to Matt on this one. But I I mean any if anyone has anything to say on Isaiah Hicks, I really got nothing. He played at a good college. He was on good teams in college. Uh won a national championship and I think that's kind of why he stays here. He's again kind of like Cornette, perfect guy for the D, uh, the G League, excuse me. He's he doesn't have much of an NBA body because he's undersized, but he can't shoot. So you're looking at a guy that's, you know, six, seven, six, eight, but isn't able to stretch the floor at all. So he's very limited in what he can do. Uh, I mean, that's really, there's not much to say about him. I don't foresee any sort of NBA future with him. Like, I think this will probably be the only time he ever gets a shot. And he's another guy, you know, when you look at next year, I think the Knicks would probably move on from him as a two-way contract guy. So he's clean Anthony early. Yep, except I think we all had higher hopes for Clay Anthony early just because we watched him at Wichita State be really good, like the best player on a top five team in the country. And then, uh, man, he just never did anything in the NBA. Uh, did he ever have like a game, like a signature game where he did anything? I don't know. Because I can't think, think so. of one. Like even there's some yeah. funny guys that the Knicks have had or in the NBA that you're just like, oh, yeah, remember that one time when he went off for like 25 points? I don't think he ever had I don't a game even like think that. he went off in the preseason like that. Like, at least Ronaldo Balkman went off in the preseason for a little bit. Oh, boy. He was a preseason all-star. He was pre- I did not think we were going to get into <laughs> Ronaldo Balkman chat in this convo. I'm getting really... I got a picture of hanging right above my computer, so... <laughs> Big-time Ronaldo really? Balkman fan. No, I don't. Um, yeah, that'd be pretty sweet if you did. Yeah, I almost just reached for <laughs> this, this computer monitor to choke you, so... <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, it's got to be the choking pick, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Courtney Lee, uh, he's playing 62 games, and he started 61 of them. He is playing over 30 minutes a game. He is shooting 44.5% from the field. He is a 40% shooter from three. He's got an immaculate 938 from the free throw line. He is. Uh, he's got three and a half rebounds per game. He's got almost three assists per game over a steal per game. I think, honestly, I think he might be the Knicks MVP this season here. He might be the best player on the team. Um, not in terms of just talent or, or on-court output, but just consistency and being able to hold the team together in, you know, tough games and provide some leadership on the court too. Like I, he, I've not been disappointed with Courtney Lee one bit this year. Courtney Lee's like the guy that I wish, the Knicks had like not him that age, but like now, like four or five years ago, like when they were still competing, you know, 100%. Like I wish wish they had Courtney Lee, like in 2013, like that, like he's been so good and consistent and like high energy on both ends of the court. He's been able to, like he's had some big games and some big stretches where like there were games when you wanted to just like kill yourself and like him, he kind of just like kept you in there a little bit, you know, 
like for a couple minute stretches, you'd be like, okay, wow, they are a basketball team. They actually do have some basketball players. Um, I fear that he's probably going to be gone soon. They'll probably get rid of him in either a trade for some youth or um, just let him go. But I, you'll never catch me complaining about anything about his time in New York. He's, he's almost been, I think what a lot of people expect and we'll get to him, but like expected not literally in the way he plays and everything, but like the consistency and the energy and the motor and like the being kind of like a veteran, like what people thought we'd get from Lance Thomas, but we never did. He Mm -hmm. kind of ended up filling that role for me on this team. And I've appreciated that. And I think we have to sit here also and look at it. Courtney Lee, he was having inarguably, I think the best season of his career this year. Oh, definitely. Most points of his career or most points per game of his career. And, you know, it's like, it's gotta be his, you know, 10th plus year. Right. I I forget exactly how long he's been in the league, but you know, he's been around forever. He, he was on the magic team. He was on the magic team that played the Lakers in the finals. Yeah. Right. And he was starting for them and he was an important role player. But at this point I watch and I, I feel a weight of sadness when I watch Courtney Lee play, because I just feel bad. Like he wants to, he's been a good veteran that always gets moved around. And I think he liked playing for the Knicks and, I just you you watch now and he's not playing as many minutes. His minutes have really been going down. I completely agree with what Bailey said. You have to appreciate what he's done this year for New York and how he's, you know, been a good stabilizing force when some of the other guys struggle. He's definitely a veteran. I noticed, you know, I think it was last month or something when Isaiah Hicks was in the game and Hicks committed a dumb foul and Courtney Lee immediately grabbed him and explained to him what he did wrong. I think the guys like him. They like playing with him. And he's the type of guy that the Knicks have to sit down and decide what they're going to do with him. So let me pose a question to you guys, if that's okay. You get a team in the offseason, or let's say the trade deadline that says, I'll give you a second round pick and a contract that expires a year earlier for Courtney Lee. You know, X player, he's nothing. Would you do that? Does Courtney, yeah. Courtney Lee expire next year, though? No, he's got two years left. That's my oh, point. Oh, yeah, he's right. He's got two years so you'd left. You'd knock a year off there. Like, do you do a deal like that if you're the Knicks? Yeah, I think I, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. I would have been happy to send him to the Thunder. Like, at this trade deadline, I know his yeah. name got floated around because he would have been so good for them. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I, I I do it. Not, like, out of, like, respect for him, but I just... Courtney Lee's not going to be a piece of your future. He's a he's a good leader. He's a good veteran. Yeah. But, um, I think, but if you can get at anything for him, then sure. Yeah, yeah. I think they should because try to move I, him in the offseason. I, I, I think I just, that Courtney yeah. Lee, like, all the leadership and all the veteran, you know, mentorship that you could offer to all these young point guards right now, like... There's still plenty of time for them to, you know, to learn that. You know, I don't know how much of a, a huge leadership role he's going to have moving forward after this because it's going to be, you know, you know, he's going to get his point across in the time they he's left here. If they move him this summer, I don't think it's going to be that, that big of a deal. They'll have already Not, learned from him and it'll be fine. I think the biggest sticking point to the question Matt brought up is that um, just having that, for example, if they got the expiring back, I think that's huge because now you have, you know, the third year of Timmy that most likely it's going to be KP's first year back or at least his first, you know, couple of, I mean, his first time back for the most part, if any, if he plays at all next year, you have to be playing for one a month. So, I mean, you're going to get a healthy 24 year old KP, you know, hopefully healthy, hopefully entering his prime. You know, you, you got Timmy there. You have your number two, possibly number three guy there already. And then by clearing Courtney's salary up and then, Noah's going to be an expiring the year after. I just think you could really set yourself up there. The year after, holy shit! Yeah, that's why I, 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 I stopped. I, like, I was like, oh yeah, Noah comes off the book. Oh no, 
Yeah, so, I've been doing that so, a lot lately too. Every time I've seen Noah on like a like cap projection sheet that JB's making or something like that, I'll be like, "Oh wow, he's only got oh he's got two years left on his contract after this one." And it's yeah, it's deflating. Well, I mean that's almost more of a reason if he can get. I think Courtney makes eleven or twelve million dollars a year. He's on I mean, a good he, contract. Yeah, it's, it's a, a good contract. contract. It is, but it's still eleven million dollars, you know. And if you could free that up, you know, yeah. a season earlier. Why not? If you have Noah's, you know, salary already eating you down, uh, weighing you down, you might as well try to just clear up what you can. You know, get, it's a win-win. It gets him in a better situation, hopefully, and then it clears up the salary yeah, for you. Yeah, as long as you understand that you're not going to get someone as good as him in return. You oh, know, absolutely. You're not going sure. yeah, to yeah, get yeah. anything close to what he gives them. Yeah, return, I would but expect. That's, a, but that's okay, you know? Right, in a trade, okay. I would expect nothing back of substance in a trade like that. I would just say, you know, give me something. And then, you know, money that expires a year earlier. I think that's kind of a trade that makes sense for like, let's say the thunder next year, if they want a guy like that, give me, give me a second. And, you know, give me like, let's say Jeremy Grant's an expiring that his money matches up. Just do that. Like, like something like that. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Grant. That's all completely hypothetical. Cause I don't know about their money, but you know, I like that's just something. yeah, I would take Jeremy Grant. Yeah. All right, boys. Well, we got to do this. We have to talk about the the prince is down, the king is down. Kristaps Porzingis has played in forty eight games this season. He has shot about forty four percent from the field, almost forty percent from three, uh, about eighty percent from the line, six point six rebounds a game, um, two point four blocks per game. 22.7 points per game. Then he tore his ACL. Um, so he'll be out presumably until at least next February and quite possibly beyond then. Um, he's obviously going to be on the team next year, but obviously this this changes a whole lot with our plans for him. I guess what what's the line of thought that we should be looking at now with Porzingis? Where do we go from here? Are we just letting him do his thing for a while? So let me pose the question here. Do we think he should come back next year at all? Absolutely not. Okay. And the only way I see him coming back is, you remember when Paul George hurt himself and he played like seven games for the Pacers at the end of the year? That's the only thing that makes any sense so that he could potentially get his legs under him. But I'd prefer if he doesn't come back next year also. I, I, mean, I guess it all back. depends on his development. He was walking already and stuff. So Correct. Like, that And I was trying to Google it and like look it up and that he's a bit ahead of schedule there. Um, so technically you can walk with a broken, with a torn ACL. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like right away. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because yeah. I have one of my very good friends, um, has had his ACL torn. Like he just hasn't gotten it fixed in like two years uh-huh. and like, he's torn it before. And then I guess the second time he tore, it didn't hurt. So he just walked around for like a month and then finally got it looked at. Oh and then God, they told him. Just, yeah. He but I, I guess, it, I guess it only, no, I guess it only hurt if he went laterally. Like if he just went, you know, regular walking, you know, mm. unilaterally, it didn't bother him. But then, you know, one day I think he just like, he tried to move sideways and that's when he felt it really pull. And then he went. So, so technically, I guess that's why I don't want to be too optimistic. Like technically it can still be very bad and he's just walking on it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think they'd have him walking on it. You know, like I, it was just, I, I no, I agree. Maybe I agree. It was encouraged. I, I just felt happy seeing him walking. It made me happy. Um, but it's fine. Like, we can healthy, take our hope. Yeah, and ready to go and stuff, then sure. But there's absolutely no reason if he's not 
100% mental. I know mental's uh, half the battle, but if he's not 100% physically confident, then I would hate to see him come back because it's not like they're going to be poised for like a playoff run or anything, you know? So like, is I just want him yeah. to take his time. But There's I quite literally understand no the reason. fear of taking a whole year off. Like that's a long ass time. And yeah, mentally yeah. that's got to be scary to be like, wow, I haven't, like that's 2020. You know what I mean? Like, or that he'd be coming back or whatever. Like that almost, that's insane. I'd, like, I think if it was anybody else, like if it was like Jabari Parker or something, I wouldn't really mind. Like if he came back in January, February. What, from his but, third ACL tear? No, no. I just mean in the sense like his build. You know, it, no, it's, fair. that's, I think what, I think that's what scares people more about Chris Epps is he's such an abnormal build. It's like, yeah, normally you wouldn't want him to miss all that time, but he's built such a way that it's like, is it really worth the extra six weeks of playing time to just have him come back like on a regular schedule? Or should we just, just sit him, just sit him those six weeks, those roughly 20 games and just let him resume, have a normal training camp, let him just work out, shoot, do his drills on his own in that time leading up to then. And then go from there. His legs are so small. Like they're so small. It's so scary. (laughs) Here's, here's how I look at this. The Knicks are Charlie. They walk into the candy shop. They get the golden ticket. They walk out. And you know, when the guy says run home as fast as you can and don't show anyone that that should be how they're looking at this. Don't get Porzingis out. Don't pull out the golden ticket before it's ready, before you're safe. Get back home. Take your time. Don't get too ridiculous with it. And then once you get home, you have the whole trip there. You'll feel much better showing the golden ticket to everyone. And then he'll come back and be healthy. I think he's this Porzingis injury is making me delirious. Yeah. I was not expecting not... a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory <laughs> reference to that. Hey, yeah. great movie. More of a Willy Wonka guy than Charlie, but, you know, either way. I just want them, the Knicks to run home with KP in their arms and jump into a bed with 50 old people and At then least. be like, he's better. He's healed. He's my son. Hysterical scene when Uncle Joe gets up and dances around and all the old people are like, yo, what the fuck? You could have slept in your own bed this whole time. We, we, need, we need to stop this. We, can't, we cannot be talking Willy Wonka and all this stuff. Um, right, fine. The one question that I still have about Chris uh, from here is, you know, I I still wonder about, like, the legitimacy of this question, like, whether or not it's really that big of a deal or not. But, you know, he's got the anemia issues. He was obviously very tired before he went down. And I'm not saying that that's what causes ACL to tear or anything. But do how, like, how much stronger can he possibly get while he's out? And how much of his game is he going to have to change from here? to cope with the fact that he might like at the rate that he was going and how fast he would move on the court and everything like that. Like he just might not be the most sustainable guy for an 82 game season. I mean, we got to hope it's mostly upper body. I mean, he's got to add weight as a whole, but I think the onus would be on, you know, just upper body. I would imagine he's got to be able to bang a little bit better. Like he could already move around the court. Well, he's already quick. He's, you know, Lengthy isn't really a thing he can improve or work on, but it, he can get to, you know, he's still the league leader or was the league leader in blocks up until like last week. He still is like the blocks per game leader last time I checked a few days ago. So like he's able to do those things defensively, but like the onus is on how long can he bang with guys in the post? Like not that, that we want that to be necessarily the focal point of his game, but you want to be able to mix it up. 
So I think that's something that we've always wanted to see more from him, just be a little bit stronger in that aspect. So I think probably just building on upper body strength has got to be one of those things that he's got to work on. I would hope. The thing that I'm looking at most when he comes back is his shot selection and how it potentially changes because that was a big source of frustration for me with him this year is that no matter how good he was, I just thought he was resorting way too much to settling for those mid-range jumpers and you know trying to post up over smaller guys, which is something you all wanted to see him do, but then it just got to a, a level where he was becoming too reliant on it. So when he comes back, that's something that, um, you know, I'll be looking for. And it's something that Kyle mentioned after we talked about, you know, Hardaway Jr. with the coaching is that, you know, if the Knicks have a new coach by then, is that something that they'll be able to guide him through and give him the confidence he needs to be able to play his game the right way and utilize his skills in the best way possible? So he's young. There's not a great track record for guys this big having sparkling health records. So I think the Knicks moving forward should absolutely monitor his minutes even when he's completely healthy. Let's say it's been two years since his surgery. I still think there's times when they should just, you know, give him a rest. And it's something like they've MB, done. He's like had some Embiid, minor injuries. Man. Like Embiid. And he hates yeah. it. Embiid hates it. He's like, play me 40 minutes a game. Like, exactly. I don't care. But look at how good he's been. And Porzingis is the same way. You know, he's competitive. He wants to play. He's young. But you got to give these guys some sort of ability to have long-term success. And if you're Porzingis is definitely not built for an 82 game season. That's just the way it is. Absolutely. Seven footers are not built for it. It's not what their bodies are meant to do. They're not meant to play 35 minutes of intense, strenuous physical activity against some of the best athletes in the world. So as much as we look at guys like this that are huge and we go, you know, they're unicorns, they're incredible. The way that they're built is just not conducive to that environment. It's something we've seen from Anthony Davis, who, you know, he's playing incredible basketball right now, but he hasn't been able to hold a bill of health for a full season in his whole career because he's just a big guy and he gets weird injuries. So moving forward, they're going to need to monitor Kristaps Minnis, which I think um, the coaching staff and Mills and Perry will definitely be aware of because I don't think his minutes this year had anything to do with his injury. It was just a freak thing. Like it's, it's very sad that sports end up like this and how one little moment, which of course was the most awesome moment and then turned into something terrible. Um, it's, it's tough, but I think they'll need to just handle him with kid gloves when he comes back and just be careful with him. I guess my question, I kind of want to pose like to not like necessarily wrap this up, but my question is if you're like, do you view the future of the Knicks differently now because of his injury? Do you feel more of a need to find like another? I mean, you know, I, I'm not like the, like I love KP, but I'm not, his biggest mm-hmm. fan, you know, um, I've always said they're never going to be able to win anything. If he's their best player, they're always going to have to look for someone better. He's a mm-hmm. secondary type complimentary, amazing, but secondary complimentary type option. Do you guys feel that way? Maybe any more now, or feel like the Knicks, like in this upcoming draft need to really be focusing on trying to get like a star, like how do you, or free agency differently? Like how is this KP injury? Cause we all know like how it made us feel and he's I'm, not going to be back next year. So instead of talking about that, like how do you guys feel how has this changed your future perspective of the Knicks? I'm prepared for KP to be a second option moving forward now. You know, I kind of had, I was holding out a lot of hope that he was just going to be the, you know, that he was going to prove that all the doubters wrong. He was going to prove Bailey wrong. Which I think was totally reasonable. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and become that, that number one guy become like that, you know, 
different abilities, but kind of Anthony Davis like player. Um, I don't think that's out the window now, but I feel far less confident about it. So yeah, that kind of does put the pressure on a little bit, especially if they're just going to be really bad next year. Like they are like we're, we've been going through the rest of this roster so far. Like in no way do any of these other guys that we've talked about tonight scream that they're going to be able to hold, you know, anywhere, you know, a winning, not even a winning record, but a respectable record together while KP is out. Um, so it's, it's just like, you know, the Knicks are going to be really bad next year and they're probably going to get a decent draft pick anyway. And I think now it's just like, let's try to get one more. Let's let's try to get someone else to go alongside KP. Let's push the timeline back again. And or, or we're going to have to or like plan B, if we really just can't succeed in that sense, is all that Joakim Noah money coming off the books, all that Cornelia money off the books. Like you got to funnel that into another star player. Yeah. So you can't I guess fuck like it my, up this time yeah. around. I guess my more like specific question is like, so just say draft, the draft comes around and this could even be the draft next year comes around. Are you still looking to draft someone that works with KP or are you looking to draft the best player? Best I think player. that I, yeah, I disagree with Ant here because I think you have to be pretty, it, it, how many guys in the league can put up the numbers that he put up over the first, you know, 15 games of the year. And then we're saying he no shouldn't one. be a first option. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. He's yeah, the first it, option on the team. It's just his I, game. It's just his game. It, like, yeah, his game could be a first option. Like he can be a first option, but I don't think his game can maintain as a first option. I think you, sure, but do you I realize think you get how, 82 games out of him as a second option. But it, but that you know, if you're saying he's a second option and you're going to get 82 games out of him, then it just doesn't make any sense to me because do you know how good someone would have to be to make Porzingis a second option? Porzingis is I'll even be on the conservative side here. When he's healthy, he is likely a I think it's top 30, fair to say. Well, yeah, totally, thought, totally that, fair. Let's, let's that, make it that, conservative. That, that's very conservative. That's almost too conservative. So, so, but that's the point. So he's already, there are 30 teams in the NBA. You put Porzingis on a lot of teams and he's their best player. I don't think you can look at that in and say, oh, we need to get someone that's better than him. And that's kind of why I've been on the Mikhail Bridges bandwagon, which we can get into a lot of draft conversation as we move on. That's not what this podcast is about, but... I have faith that Porzingis can be the first option on the offense, and he's shown that over the course of a good chunk of games. And I mentioned before, I think if you just have a good coach that can teach him the best ways to maximize his game and be the best that he can be, he can easily be the first option. Whether they can actually well, win anything is always a question that's going to be tough. The NBA is so well, difficult, well, and that, there's not a great track record of forwards that are scorers ending up as champions because it's something that we had the discussion about with Melo, yeah, and we can always we can always strange. look back at dirk as the option in the modern nba where like you know you can build a team around him and they can win but it, it's difficult to form a winning team around a guy like porzingis that can achieve the heights that um you know teams built around the likes of curry or lebron or you know even a Dwayne wade with the heat it, it's a different type of team that you have to build around him so let, I let still have get, faith in him that he can be a number one option. I, that That's not a question in my mind. Let me just get this last point in, and then we really got to move off Porzingis because we have a lot of roster still to get to. Um, I, I just think that I agree with you in all those points, too. If the Knicks had better guys playing below Porzingis right now, better other you know secondary tier stars to go with him, I, I would feel better about saying that, like, you know, they just need someone who's probably close to Porzingis' <laughs> level, but 
Now I feel like they need someone who's as good as Porzingis in his prime because just the I just want an elite point guard. So I just want him with an elite point guard. That's yeah. all I want. So this podcast ended up running unexpectedly long, and we decided to break it down to two parts for you guys. So you just listened to part one, and we'll be back on Tuesday with part two of the podcast featuring Bailey, featuring Matt, featuring Kyle. So thanks to everyone for tuning in. Thanks to all of those guys for being here and helping with the breakdowns. And we'll be back very, very shortly to bring you the rest. Thank <laughs> you.